What is up, guys? What is up, my crew? Welcome back. Remember that song, guys? Loving the crew. Wow, that's a that's a throwback. That's a yeah, that's a that's a throwback right there. But yeah, guys, this is welcome to another wild Wednesday with interesting facts. With I'm your host Chase from Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy, a ridiculous production here. It is your midweek bonus episode that we're throwing at you guys. Um, yeah, pretty pretty interesting week, right? Um, I saw Evanescence came out with a new album, so that's interesting. Kind of came out of nowhere. Wasn't expecting that one. I guess with all the artists during COVID, right, that's why they're all kind of coming out with new albums uh, because all, all they can really do is record music at the moment because no one can do any shows because of COVID and everything. So that was pretty cool. Kind of took me back a little bit. It's still got the old school kind of gothic rock going on i mean it's definitely no uh my immortal like these wounds won't seem to heal <laughs> yeah that's right that's old school or uh wake me up inside yeah but it was still as amy lee at her finest she's still crushing it uh that was great stuff there kind of interesting night on i guess it was saturday yeah saturday night um I was like, it was like four in the morning and then the fire alarm went off in my uh, building where I live down here in Florida. And at first I was kind of just thinking, right? I was like, ah, uh, no, nah, someone just probably pulled the fire alarm. We're fine. We're fine. So I kept waiting on it and waiting on it. And I was like, ah, probably should do the right thing. You know, not stop, drop and roll. Probably should have done that. But, you know, I guess get on all fours and crawl to the door. If the smoke rises up, right? But nah, nah, I didn't do that. I uh, walked to the door and then it just was super loud in my building here because I live in this like uh, apartment complex down here in Florida, right? And uh, I started walking down the halls. No one's there. No one's there. And then I noticed like everyone in the parking deck was being escorted out and there were firemen everywhere where I guess like someone in the middle of the night was like cooking or I guess it was really early like breakfast time if you work like the super early shift on Saturdays, right? Um, but pretty wild. <laughs> so uh, it was really funny. It was like uh, me and a few other people just standing outside at four in the morning I had nothing but like gym shirt, a uh, gym uh, shorts and a t-shirt on, freezing my tail off down here in the in the middle of winter. But then again, us Floridians down here, right? We say uh, freezing our tail off, and it's seventy degrees, and we got on like five jackets. So, but <laughs> on that note, guys, well, thanks for hanging with us today. We got an awesome episode for you. A lot of really cool stuff uh, going on here. So. Uh, as we kind of talked about, like last episode, we talked about uh, St. Mungo's Hospital and that sort of stuff that Josh brought up and, you know, Arthur Weasley got attacked by the snake and all the dreams and that sort of thing. So as I was kind of researching through here, it's really easy for things to kind of take us off on, on tangents because Harry Potter's got so many interesting facts that you can just find out as you're researching. Um, well, some of the stuff that I did find... I'll mention when I get there that we won't really talk about because I'm going to save some of them for Deathly Hallows, but we will go into it a little bit. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and get us kicked off here. So yeah, let's let's get it started. Let's get it started in here. Woohoo! Yeah, let's get it uh, started Harry Potter style, right? 
So uh, first thing going, we have that Protean charm. So if you forgot, um, that's what Hermione had used uh, to actually uh, charm the galleons, the fake galleons, so everyone knew when Dumbledore's army was supposed to meet in the rumor requirement because they were having to negotiate with everyone's schedules and Quidditch practices. So uh, what the Protean charm is really used for, uh, it's allowed it can be used once cast once on several different objects and it'll change the other objects simultaneously so that was i thought that was cool stuff there um gurge golgamath so if you forgot our last episode so hagrid actually came back after a while so he's been missing for a, a good minute there but um he really talked about gurge golgamath who is pretty a really uh, vicious uh vicious giant i would say which doesn't help the the giant's name right or reputation so uh just a little bit about him so actually very little is really known about his history um all that's really known is basically what hagrid kind of covered right uh but it's a little bit more detailed like he actually beheaded the leader of the colony that they said he took over that they described in the book well he actually beheaded that guy uh, when he became the leader of the giant's colony um, he actually like they said in the book you know he did have that great relationship with walder mcnair uh, which was the guy that tried to execute buckbeak right um, back in prisoner of azkaban but uh, it was specifically for the whole vicious nature that Gurge Golgamath had is why he liked Walder McNair and just loved to kill things. Well, he favored Death Eaters because of his relationship with McNair, but he's described as 25 feet tall with a matching black teeth and a necklace made of human bones. So I thought that was pretty, pretty vicious there and definitely not someone you would want to meet in a dark alley. Um, Luna Lovegood talks about for a little bit actually magical creatures called nargles so if you remember we were talking about the mistletoe mistletoe uh with cho chang right and loosen up my buttons baby huh yeah uh but so it's a magical creature actually i was a little surprised about this so xenophilius uh love good and and luna are the ones that always believe they existed um just like they believed in a lot of other different things right um but it's still not verified whether or not they existed or not. I'll actually tell you in a minute. There was one account from the Daily Prophet that claimed uh, it did. So that actually backs them up on this one, which I was really surprised about. But uh, so what it actually is, um, they were believed to infest mistletoe. So really... Uh, not like lice, but they're more like fairies, but they acted like lice and um, termite infections, but infecting mistletoe. Um, they were also thought to be mischievous thieves. Uh, so basically, they could also infest the room and then steal from whatever they had, almost like fairies a little bit, but really miniature size. Uh, Luna actually claimed that her shoes were taken by Nargles. And her butterbeer cork necklace. So uh, the beer, butterbeer she was having, she took the corks off and made a necklace out of. And uh, she thinks that keeps them away. So I thought it was interesting. It's kind of like the, the garlic that people use uh, that they say to keep vampires away as the old like wives tale, right? Um, but the Daily Prophet said 
And it wasn't the quibbler. I was surprised about this too. I actually wrote a short column on Nargles um, and it described it as it was a pins, uh, pensioner's uh, wig. Uh, so possibly implying that the creature could exist. But a pensioner, uh, referring to that as just the, a retired person that actually worked at the ministry um, that was receiving a, a pension every two weeks from the Ministry of Magic. Um, it is said that Nargle side uh, is the reported potion that could be used to kill Nargles. I even looked that up. I guess it's because <laughs> some people don't even believe they exist. Uh, there's no ingredients that's known for that. Uh, so there's not really a way to tell how you would actually make that potion. Um, Dilly's Derwent, I thought he was a really important person. We've talked about him a little bit, but he's on the actual um, portraits that Dumbledore was talking to. Remember when Harry's scar was burning really bad and he had those, that dream with Arthur getting attacked by the snake, or vision, I guess you would say now, right? Um, but he actually started, Dilly's Derwent started working at St. Mungo's Hospital in 1722. Uh, Derwent left the job and uh she it's so as she she became headmistress of hogwarts in 1741 and she was one of the most celebrated headmistresses of hogwarts due to her popularity just with students so that was really interesting there uh she did die in 1768 uh which is where she still takes places in one of albus's portraits uh in his office so and then we're going to get into some really cool stuff now so Ophelda Clagg, uh, so she was mentioned a little bit as being, um, you know, part of uh, the portraits and stuff in the ministry and, and that sort of thing. But she's a female sorcerer. She died in, she died in 1687 and was born in 1612. Um, she was a British witch and chief, uh, chief, chief tainess. So she was uh, a, whim, a female witch in the 16th century. Um, who is part of the head of um, the Wizarding Gamut, so the International Confed of Wizards, right? Uh, she attempted to redefine the classification of beings and beasts by declaring that all these magical creatures uh, could speak human tongues should be classified as beings. So it doesn't matter if you walk on four legs, uh, as long as you can just speak in the human tongue, uh, basically English, you were fine and should be declared as uh, a person, really, and have all the rights of a person. Um, kind of sort of like what Hermione Granger is doing with house elves, so I thought it was really interesting there. But it says, however, this caused problems with the ministry. Trolls, she had a big meeting, and the trolls that were now classified as being expressed as uh, humans and having all the rights as humans expressed their rights by destroying meeting chambers. So they were basically having riots. Uh, Jarvis that we talked about in Chamber of Secrets, remember those were in the garden. Uh, they were kind of like ferrets uh, when they were having to denome the yard. Um, and it's talked about in Gilderoy Lockhart's book on how to get rid of Jarvis or how to get rid of uh, garden gnomes with Jarvis, which is considered a brutal way. But Jarvis were in attendance and tore, uh, tore and many council members ankles and uh were biting at them and were causing this huge ruckus that was happening uh senators actually started boycotting the meetings and mer people uh, were not invited to the meetings at all <laughs> so I, I thought that was interesting on why 
Um, it said a large delegation of ghosts were also in attendance at these meetings, but left in disgust of because what was called the council was ashamed on the emphasis of the needs of the living as opposed to the wishes of the dead uh, for the ghosts. So they didn't feel like they were being appreciated enough. Also, due to the declining number of uh, golden snitches, so she actually, we talked to, about the golden snitches a little bit in our Sorcerer's Stone episodes where we talked about the interesting facts with Quidditch. Uh, well, a field of clag, uh, we mentioned a little bit in passing, um, but she actually stuck up to for golden snidgets rights, which golden snidgets were actually gold birds. We mentioned a little bit in passing before uh, little round birds that eventually they wound up replacing to be a spherical ball that flew everywhere because it was basically against animal rights and <laughs> magical creatures rights to be capturing a bird like that. Um, so Clag actually made it uh, the golden snidget. She was the one that made it a protective species and outlawed both their hunting at their use of Quidditch matches. So um, because originally they would actually, you know, hunt this thing down in Quidditch matches, And that's how the snitch uh, became to be was she we talked about it before in our Sorcerer's Stone interesting facts, but she played a large role in that. Um, her portrait is still at the British Ministry of Magic headquarters. Um, and then so Burdock uh, Mudlore is actually her predecessor. So the person that came before her and the reason she was such a big deal was because she basically um, kind of interesting with what's going on with politics right now. Right. How, you know, politics goes back and forth and changes all the time. But so Burdock Muldor was her predecessor to a field of clag. And he was the chief of wizards uh, of the council in 1429. Uh, 1429 all the way up into a field of clags years so he's been he was there a really long time but he defined the classification classification of a being in a in a magical beast by the way on how they walked on two legs um, they were beings if they could walk on two legs everything else was classified as beast uh, he attempted uh, to let non-wizard members as well become part of the council uh, if they could walk on two legs, um, but even and this even included birds. So like every magical creature ever. So it's like they got this interesting form of equality going, but like some of the rules don't really make a whole lot of sense here. So these are all different types of birds that I'll talk about in a minute because they play a big role. Um, but dairy calls, uh, auguregs, uh, whoppers, and then pixies aren't birds, but we know what pixies are. And then fairies, which we know what fairies are, but those aren't birds. But it says uh, who could not understand English. So all of them, though, they had two legs. You see, uh, they attempted to let in magical creatures as well as trolls because they walked on two legs. And then, of course, as we've seen with trolls before, as uh, their trolls attempted to smash the meeting chambers again with their clubs. And at, as well as it says hags is what their hags is what they literally call it hags begin to glide around the chamber and searching for children to eat. Uh, so that was really interesting there. Um, it's, it's very uh, interesting stuff. Uh, almost like kind of like the, the ghost instance that happened where um, the trolls were banging up the chambers and everything. Uh, Muldon, um, as chief of the council, stood up during this meeting uh, and was trying to actually reopen the meeting on a formal note. Uh, so that everyone would calm down. 
and it says he slipped on a poor lock dung, which we talked about poor locks uh, last interesting facts episode. So those were like, you know, they almost looked like rocks. They were so short with the big heads. Um, well, when they squatted down, uh, you know, people would trip over them and then they would really uh, attack. That's kind of when they would attack their prey and be vicious because um, they really they were so short. You really couldn't have to be seen. Um, but that's when uh, they had the incident of he, he slipped on the poor lock dung and bitter by the incident, uh, Moldane foreswore that further attempts to integrate non-wizard members of the magical communities were non-human uh, from then on uh, <laughs> were not allowed in the wizards council. So that's kind of had you how you had this moment um, where they were like, you know, at that point they weren't going to be allowing magical creatures to be part of the wizard uh, council anymore. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing because it it shows how almost like they almost like they decided that they were going to decide everyone should be on an equal level playing field, right? <laughs> Even if they weren't. Like almost like how like Star Wars, you have different aliens communicating. Um, so like everyone was on a, a playing field. So and uh, just so Hag wouldn't confuse you because I don't like using uh, negative terminology or anything. It actually is a species in Harry Potter. So I'm going to tell you about this real quick. So um, their eye color is green. They're very pale. Uh, they are related to humans, but they're actually not human at all. They're found in Russia and Europe. Um, it is very true. They, it is kind of describing like almost like an old witch, like Hansel and Gretel style, because it says they look ugly and are covered in warts and resemble an old witch. Um, they have four toes on each foot, have a taste for flesh of human children, and possess a rudimentary magic. Um, and then they're best known uh, for being uh, very. Uh, very experts in dark arts magic. There's even a quote here that says, uh, the hag is a child-eating creature of human appearance, though likely to have more warts than an average witch. Uh, and that was Quentin Trimble, the dark force is a guide to self-protection, as far as that text go. Um, and it says, the hag was a savage being that looked like an ugly old witch but had more warts. They have four toes on each foot, have a taste for flesh of human children, and possess rudimentary magic similar to that of a troll. Many muggles tend to think that hags are witches look alike and are therefore popular in muggle literature. So it really is kind of like that Hansel and Gretel thing. Um, actually, in the 14th century, it says hags were gliding about in search of children to eat. So that's really what it almost reminds me of Hocus Pocus. I remember when um, Sarah Jessica Parker was like, where are you children it's time to come and play <laughs> oh yeah get some of that some of that children's song <laughs> just kidding that's messed up anyways uh but um and it, it says even during some time during the 17th and 18th century uh, the witch hornia newtcomb founded the society for reformation of hags which is presumably a charitable organization to help hags integrate into the wizarding society. The headquarters is actually located in Diagon Alley, um, and it says Quirinius Quirrell supposedly had a nasty bit of trouble with a hag sometime in 1990 to 1991 uh, during his grand tour. 
Um, and then it even says Gilderoy, Gilderoy Lockhart published a book called Holiday with Hags in 1992, so during his Chamber of Secrets year, so year two. Uh, whether the book was one of Lockhart's fictions, in which case it would be useless, or one of the stories he stole from the other memory-charmed Wizards of Witches is unknown, the book, along with six others of his collected works, are set as a compulsory defense against the dark arts textbook that was published uh, that year, of course, which, uh, you know, was part of the, all the books that Harry got uh, then. Um, as far as when he went to go see them uh, in Chamber of Secrets when Gilderoy Lockhart gave him all those books. Um, as far as what the magic is we were talking about, uh, as far as how they said they were part of rudimentary magic, uh, what that is for is it's used to refer to a specific brand of lesser magic. So they're actually not that smart. Like they're just really, I mean, they're definitely no witch and they're definitely no wizard. So Hermione Granger could take them out like that. Um, and there was a lesser form of magic employed by hags and trolls. It seemed to be simpler, a much tamer form of dark magic. Uh, and then hags mainly used their magic to brew potions uh, because they really needed the potion help as far as the magic because they just weren't that skilled, really. Um, and then it says hags more often tend to use cunning, reserving their magic for brewing potions, while trolls make do with their prodigious brutish strength, which seems to suggest that this kind of magic is quite weak. Um, so... I mean, pretty much anyone anyone that's a high-level skilled wizard wouldn't mind trying to take on a hag because they wouldn't last very long. So I would love to see Albus Dumbledore go save Hansel and Gretel. That would be pretty awesome. Um, so next thing on the list, right? We were talking about auguries. So this was really cool because it reminded me of Fox. So I wasn't even thinking about this, how they're could possibly be different types of phoenixes um, and there actually is which is really interesting so it says auguries also known as an irish phoenix looked like a small un undented vaulted undefended vulture with greenish feathers and a sharp beak um, its diet consisted of insects fairies and flies and it's hunted um, and it used to hunt in the rain that it used to hunt in the rain it's intensely shy and they live in tear-shaped nests um, that are made of thorns and brambles which is basically like sticks and stuff the cry of an augury uh, signaled approaching rainfall they're native to great britain and ireland uh, but had to spread to the rest of northern europe later on because uh, you know they just weren't naturally uh, bred there um it is long believed that a mournful cry foretold from the death of witches and wizards, uh, a mournful cry from the augury actually foretold the soon death of witches and wizards. Um, many witches and wizards also go to great lengths to avoid augury nests uh, just because of this, because it's a, it's a bad omen. Yeah. Um, research determined, however, though, that this is not true and it's merely sings when it's about to rain. So it's kind of like the Thestrals we were talking about, how they get a bad rap um, for some things. But really, it's just because um, there's just, you know, superstition attached to their name, almost like black cats, right? Uh, but 
this is actually it's talked about in um the book why i didn't die <laughs> when the augury cried written by gilliver uh, pockaby in 1824 it was published by little red books and dispelled the myth that the cry of the augury signaled impending death uh, augury feathers actually repel ink as well uh, so they're unable to be used in quill feathers so how we talked about quills and in our interesting facts last week um, acceptance um, I, uh, this is actually really cool so students that were accepted into the hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry remember we were talking about the magical quill right well so their acceptance though was recorded for prospective students that they wanted to come to the school um, it was actually of believed um, that they would come their acceptance was recorded from an augury in the book that they were going to actually be accepted into the school so not send out the letter but the determination of the school that they were going to allow them to go there was re actually recorded by an augury so that's which is an you know which is that bird that's another type of phoenix so really interesting stuff um it was learned that auguries could foretell forthcoming of rain uh, that were used and they were actually used as weather forecasters for a while however constant moaning from them caused witches and wizards to release many of them from their duties because it was difficult to bear so they got the bad end of the stick on that one unfortunately uh yurk the oddball actually owned 50 auguries as a pet as pets at one point um one day uh actually they all cried out at once <laughs> leaving him to believe he actually had died and become a ghost uh, this led him to giving himself a concussion because he had woke up in the middle of the night and tried running through a wall, and uh, it, it didn't go too well. Um, Jacob Kowalski encountered an augury in 1927 by entering Newt Scamander's apartment. Newt Scamander actually had several auguries. Um, the gloomy oversized augury, um, known as Hans, is actually the mascot of the Liechtenstein national Quidditch team, which the U.S. played in 2014 in the Quidditch World Cup. So we talked about that last interesting fact episode about the USA World Cup. So that's how that released to that. Uh, Euphemia Rao, so she actually kept an augury in a cage, while uh, Dolphini, we'll talk about her for a little bit. Um, probably won't go into too much detail, but we will. Um, but as she was growing up so delphine um she's uh, if you read harry potter and the cursed child it's technically canon uh because jk rowling jk rowling wrote it as being part of the timeline i don't really consider it canon because i didn't really like it uh but that's just me per uh personally but delphine plays a big part in there um she actually plays uh voldemort and bellatrix lestrange's daughter um but she so euphemia Rao kept an augury in a cage while delphine was growing up delphine would later on adopt the augury and the symbol that came with it and actually had an augury tattoo on the back of her neck it is believed in a premonition of an alternate reality we'll talk about this for a little bit not too much detail uh, but she actually saw Vol voldemort win and she was known as the augury making the connection that allowed albus potter so who is that 
Albus Potter, um, that's Harry Potter's son in the future, according to the Cursed Child. Um, and the augury making the connection that allowed Albus Potter and Scorpius Malfoy, so that would be uh, that would be Draco Malfoy's son in the future, um, according to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, to realize Delphini's uh, duplicality. So we'll explain this in just a minute. And like I said, you know, we're not going to get too detailed on that because it is technically canon, but it's just not really part of the the true franchise to me. It's just not. Uh, Gilver Pokeby. So he was a wizard and a Magi zoologist, expert in magical birds. Uh, he is featured on the Chocolate Frog card and is shown wearing a gold watch. And he was around from 1750 to 1839. So if you're wondering who he was there. Uh, Eric the Oddball that we talked about. So he actually was around in 982, so really early on in the Middle Ages. He was part of the Ravenclaw house, so all my Ravenclaws out there. Uh, if you're in the Ravenclaw house, please stand up. Please stand up. Anyways, uh, Eric was a strange wizard. It's uh, This is a quote, actually. Eric was a strange wizard who lived in ancient times. Among other things, he was famous for wearing a jellyfish hat and no one knows if he meant to become the weirdest wizard of the ages or if it was just to come naturally. So that was pretty funny there. He was actually born in the British Isles. At one time, Irk the Oddball actually attempted to prove that the song of a Fwooper, which we'll talk about a Fwooper in just a bit, uh, was actually beneficial to one's health. After listening to it for three months without a break, he presented his findings to the wizard council, and the council was left unconvinced uh, that Yurik, with Yurik arrived uh, at the meeting wearing nothing but a toupee, a toupee hat. And on a closer inspection, he proved uh, to be a it proved to be a dead badger. So what looked like a hat on his head was a dead badger. So no one took him seriously, and he was known for wearing basically a jellyfish on his head all the time. Uh, here's another quote about it. It says, easily the most boring class was history and magic. This was back in Sorcerer's Stone when everyone was in Professor Ben's class. Easily the most boring class was history and magic. What was the only one taught by a ghost? Professor Ben's. It, it droned on and on while they scribbled down the names and dates and got Americ the Evil and Yurik the Oddball mixed up. Um, we're not going to go too much into... America the Evil because just know um, the ones I'll list off for you in a minute uh, they were basically medieval wizards because they're going to play a big part in Deathly Hallows so we're going to wind up saving it for that but Yurik died in the Middle Ages uh, he is featured on the Chocolate Frog card there's actually even a short biography explaining his eccentric eccentricity uh, Randolph uh, Pittman actually studied Yurik's life and became a biographer, so he was a, a famous journalist. Um, source, and that's in the magical world, famous journalist. You're not going to find that in the actual world. Uh, Sorcerer's Stone students uh, studied Yurik and Emmerich the Evil um, from 91 to 92, so basically the whole year in Professor Benz's class. On September 1st, 1991, Prefect Robert Hilliard actually welcomed his Ravenclaw first years to the tower with a short speech that mentioned the eccentricity of Uruk. So that was pretty interesting there. So you can definitely see how this guy made an impact, 
especially it's interesting because it's so many years later, right? Like he was around in 982. Uh, America the Evil. These are I'm just going to mention these because we're going to save this for Hollows. Um, but these were really big wizards that played a big part in the Middle Ages. America the Evil. Egbert the Egregious. Got a lot. And the last one here is Hero Ward. So just know all four of them. Uh, so that was one, two, three, four. Yeah, all four of them played a major role uh, in the Middle Ages. And we're going to talk about them in Deathly Hallows. So we're wound up saving it for that. Uh, Jacob Kowalaski, um, you probably heard of him. I know we talked about him before. Uh, just a little bit about him. You know, he's a Polish born American. Uh, he's uh, part of Nomage that we talked about last interesting facts episode remember nomad is basically the american government that's not magical uh he lived um on 435 rivington street in new york new york uh during uh 19 uh so it was basically 1920s so 1926 he fought in the first world war uh he worked in the united states as a cannery um, but dreamt of becoming a banker. So a cannery, all that is, it's a can factory. You know, they make canned goods, vegetables, uh, fruits, that sort of thing. Um, but the reason you probably heard of him is because he is Newt's commander's best friend and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them or uh, The Crimes Against Grindelwald. So, uh, so you've probably heard of him before, definitely. So uh, Dolphini. So we'll kind of just go through this because uh, the reason why I'd rather bring this up now, and I'll give you kind of a bridge version, so I'm not going to give you all the details because we don't want to give anything away for Deathly Hallows. Uh, however, the reason I'm going to go through it now is because a lot of it relates a lot to the Triwizard Tournament that we already talked about in Goblet of Fire, and also it relates to Prisoner of Azkaban that we talked about the year before that. Um, a lot of it, the rest of that kind of relates to hollows. So we're going to leave that abridged. But if you want to uh, read this book, um, you can go get Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Pretty much any bookstore, Barnes and Noble, anything that's out there. But it's written, just so you guys know, which I'm sure you all know already, it's written as a play script. So you can even go see it on Broadway when they come back. Uh, and everything gets going again there. So that would be a good way to see it because apparently it's really cool on Broadway. Uh, I just really don't consider it myself as part of the true franchise of Harry Potter uh, for true Harry Potter fans. Um, but Delphine, so Delphine Diggory, um, she is in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, born in 1998. Uh, a quick quote from her. She said, I am the new past. I am the new future. I am the answer of the world has been looking for. So, uh, Delphine was a British half-blood dark witch. She is the daughter of Tom Riddle and Bellatrix Lestrange, is what it's claimed to be. Um, the reason I bring her up as well, because we did talk about her, that one little last line that we talked about the interesting facts episode last week, uh, with that timeline with the Zolt, and where they thought her timeline was cut off. And it really wasn't, and they'd and it really wasn't, even though her niece thought it was. Um, so she is actually the only living heir of Salazar Slytherin left today and was imprisoned in Azkaban for the murder of Craig 
Bowker Jr. Um, both of her parents were killed in the Battle of Hogwarts, um, so we're not going to get into that because uh, we want to save stuff for later, right? Um, she said uh, she was left as an orphan with her aunt Euphemia Rao uh, to raise her, and she did not attend Hogwarts. Um, she had imaginary friends instead, so she was definitely a little bit odd, but she also uh, had a really rough childhood, I would say. Um, basically what happened, right? So she finds Amos Diggory and puts him under the Confundus charm. On August 31st, Amos Diggory went to Harry Potter and urged him to use the Time Turner to go back in time to the Tri Wizard Tournament and save Cedric, who was murdered. Harry refused, but his son Albus Potter overheard and went back with his friend Scorpius Malfoy back in time to save Cedric. The two boys found uh, that their way found their way over to St. Oswald's home for old witches and wizards. So what that is is basically a, a senior living home is what it was. And in the senior living home, uh, that's what was happening was Delphine was actually posing as a nurse taking care of Amos Diggory there. Um, Albus, Scorpio, and Delphi. So that's Albus Potter, Scorpio Malfoy, and Delphi um, Diggory snuck into the Ministry of Magic and stole the Time Turner. So this is definitely contradictory, too, because they said after Hermione returned the Time Turner, all of them were destroyed by the Department of Mysteries, which we're going to talk about the Department of Mysteries in the episode coming up. Uh, on Sunday here, I'm pretty sure. No, not on Sunday, but the next week after that. We'll talk about the Department of Mysteries. So it, it's very contradictory. So this is why I do not consider this canon at all. And I don't consider it part of the franchise, even though it is written by J.K. Rowling uh, partially. So I guess you kind of have to. Um, but I, I really don't consider it part of the franchise um, for those main reasons. But uh, what happened, too, is... Hermione Granger, uh, Delphine disguised herself as Hermione Granger with the Polyjuice Potion. Um, and using the Time Turner, Albus and Scorpius altered the past, creating two realities. First, seeing Hermione Granger as a bitter defense against the Dark Arts teacher, and Ron Weasley, who is uh, in a less than happy marriage with Padma Patil. And the second, seeing where the Order of the Phoenix and Dumbledore's army had actually lost the Battle of Hogwarts. After many attempts, Scorpius managed to restore the corrected timeline, so Malfoy's son, and decided to destroy the Time Turner on, on his and Albus's own, not trusting the Ministry to actually go destroy it. Um, Albus winds up sending an owl, owl to Delphine, and she arrived at Hogwarts just in time to see that they planned to destroy the Time Turner. Albus tried to apologize to her and explain that they were not able to go back in time to save Cedric. He and Scorpius explained that in the new reality they had created, Cedric's triwizard humiliation had actually turned him into a Death Eater, and he eventually murdered uh, Neville Longbottom, which caused a big issue there, uh, which is why they wound up you know, having an issue with that big battle that we talk about in Deathly Hollows, which this isn't canon. Uh, so, and we won't go into super details because we don't want to give anything away, but so Delphine wanted to help Usher the Dark Lord and said Cedric would have understood, suggesting they should destroy the Time Turner together and she would explain to her uncle why Cedric would not be saved. 
After Albus handed her the time turner, both boys noticed the black tattoo of the bird, so the auguri that we were talking about, on her back. Uh, Delphi said it was an auguri, which reminded her of her childhood as an orphan when she was raised by the Rao family. The boys realized she was an enemy based on uh, Scorpius, who was Malfoy's son, uh, recalling references of the auguri in the timeline where Voldemort uh, won the... Uh, one, but Delphi pulled out a uh, wand at this point and then bound them all together. So they didn't really have a choice but to hang on with Delphi's plan. Uh, Delphi planned to travel back in time to ensure that Cedric's survival in the third task of the Triwizard Tournament, since she was unable to go back to the first two, as the boys' actions made those events too temporarily unstable, which you can read the screenplay for that because it's written as a play. Uh, Albus refused, but she threatened to kill Scorpius. Uh, Craig Bowker uh, Jr., another Hogwarts student, rushed up to say, uh, see what was going on with the whole school and why they were looking for them. But why he was rushing up, Delphi killed him immediately and was giving her a, a similar nature to those of her parents who didn't hesitate to kill. So she was basically just like, Avada Kedavra. So I don't know if it was the Vada Kedavra curse. I got to go back and re-dive into that script because we're super into uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix now, and I'm not a big fan of the script. But yeah, she killed him right on the spot, just like kind of Cedric was um, back from, you know, uh, Peter Pettigrew. Uh, Delphi took Albus and Scorpius back in time with her, uh, but they refused to cooperate. As Delphi prepared to kill Scorpius, she was struck from behind by an unsuspecting Cedric Diggory, who thought the scene was simply a part of the Triwizard task. He freed the boys before returning to the challenge. Uh, Delphi staggered to her feet and picked up the time turner, but Albus and Scorpius managed to grab the device. They raced through time once again, but once they arrived, Delphi destroyed the time turner and flew away. Uh, Albus and Scorpius discovered that they had both transported on to October 30th, 1981, the day before Harry Potter's parents were murdered by Voldemort. Uh, the boys actually realized that Delphi intended to kill and stop Voldemort from uh, trying to kill Harry, thus actually triggered uh, their own destruction when uh, the killing curse rebounded on him due to Lily Pollard, Potter's loving sacrifice. Uh, meanwhile, the boys' parents were looking for them. Ron Weasley told Harry that he had seen Albus uh, with an older girl the night before. Harry thought he meant Delphi Diggory, Amos's niece, and they went to see Amos, who told them that he had never had a niece, which meant that the Confundus charm Delphi had cast on his wand, on, on him with her wand. Uh, the adults raced to Delphi's room and found that there were writings revealing Delphi to be Tom Riddle's daughter and that she believed she could restore him with the power following the words of the prophecy. It said, uh, and then there's a, a note that Harry winds up telling her later that I'll talk about. But uh, Albus and Scorpius were able to send the message to their parents by leaving a message on Harry's old baby blanket uh, shortly before the final trip back through time. Uh, now aware of where the children were, uh, Harry, Jenny, Draco, Ron, and Hermione headed back to uh, a place that we'll talk about in Deathly Hallows. But just know they headed back to a place from 1981 using the time turner to help the boys. Uh, the group winds up finding Albus and Scorpius and hides in a church where they could look out for Delphi without being seen. 
Harry volunteered to transfigure himself into Voldemort and lead Delphi into a trap. The others planned to wait uh, in the church behind the large wooden doors until Harry was able to lure her inside. Uh, Delphi appeared and Harry disguised was disguised as Voldemort and uh, pretended to know who she was. She was explained that she was the child of Lord Voldemort and Bellatrix Lestrange. Harry told Delphi that together they could become an unstoppable force, but by the time the transfiguration began to fade, Delphi claimed she knew uh, that she was speaking to Harry at the time, actually. And Delphi locked the doors to prevent the others from jumping out to help. Without a wand, Harry was forced to hide beneath the church pew, and she attacked him. Uh, when Delphi was about to kill Harry, Albus Potter, his son, appeared through a hatch in the floor, throwing a wand to his father. Together, Albus and Harry were able to overpower Delphi. Delphi begged them to kill her and wipe her mind clean. Uh, she claimed that she only wanted to meet her father and be with him. Uh, Albus wanted Delphi to die, and Albus wanted to kill her um, to avenge Craig, who is a person in the book. You can actually read the screenplay uh, to find out more detail on this. But, but Harry stopped him. In a moment of empathy for her, Harry told her that she must learn to live with the fact that she will always be an orphan. Um, following defeat, Delphi was imprisoned in Azkaban for the murder and abuse of relics. Um, so kind of big stuff there. Very interesting to hear really who Delphi was that we talked about last week and how she falls from the Zolt line because of Salazar Slytherin, right? So very interesting stuff. She was known as being ruthless, calculating, master of the dark arts, charms, transfiguration, possible tongue, uh, flying. She was amazing at, and this one's a big one that we've talked about before, um, Josh and I have had debates about this, but wandless magic she was known for, which uh, here's a big thing about wandless magic, right? So wandless magic is performance of magic without the use of a wand. Uh, it's known to be very difficult to perform. You must be of the level of an elite and have great skill to do this. However, certain parts of the world, it is actually normal to not use a wand and it's optional. Um, it's known that only the most powerful witches and wizards can perform wandless magic. Wandless magic was usually performed by the nonverbal. Uh, transfiguration and charms is known to be extremely difficult without a wand uh, because wands were European inventions. Some cultures, such as Native Americans, have their own magic that doesn't actually use a wand and never required a wand because it predates the European invention. Another one that, for example, predates that invention because it's been in their bloodline for so long is house elves. Um, house elves magic is wandless, as we've seen on screen and we've read in the books. Uh, predates the European invention is naturally skilled based on their bloodline. African witches and wizards from Africa only adopted the wand in the 20th century. Wandless magic is not officially announced that it's taught at Hogwarts. However, Wandless magic books can actually be found in the restricted restricted section of the library if you go looking for it. Uh, wandless magic were often the cause of underage magic um, from children. And actually, this is very interesting by the ministry. So the at the age of 11 is when most wandless magic happens from children. Uh, and it's actually called to have been incidents of magic that are unintentional. In this case, what it's called by the ministry, even though they take account for it and report it, 
in the case of the child will not be held accountable if it was in the case of a muggle. The obliteration charm will be issued by the ministry and it will be labeled unintentional use of magic because they're too young basically to know. Um, kind of like how I remember when Harry back in Sorcerer's Stone, when he was so young, he made the glass disappear on Dudley. Uh, so that's an example of there. Um, very interesting why, you know, that could be a plot hole there to think about, like, why didn't the ministry ever take note of that then? Um, Tom Riddle, we know who he is, was able to hurt people and influence animals at a young age, which we'll talk a lot about next book when we get into it. Um, before he knew magic even existed in the wizarding world. Uh, so it was labeled as unintentional use of magic. Um, Lolly Evans was able to use magic without a, without a wand by making herself fall very fast and accelerate um, the growth of a flower. Uh, I looked up more on her. I really couldn't find a whole lot on her. Um, known practitioners, though, of wandless magic, actually, one is Minerva McGonagall. No surprise there. Uh, and she's known for the Avador spell. Um, the following people that I'm going to mention are actually known to be able to have performed spells unintentionally without the use of a wand. Uh, those, and to basically be able to um, use magic without having to use a wand, even though a lot of them still prefer to use a wand. Uh, and that's Alistair Moody, Albus Dumbledore, Ardors the Invisible. I'll tell you about him in a good bit. He's pretty awesome. Uh, Corota Pinkstone, uh, Delphini that we talked about. Fenir Greyback, we've talked about him before. Remember, he's that werewolf that attacked Lupin. Uh, Phileas Flitwick, uh, we know who he is. Hermione Granger, Jacob Sibling, we talked about him a lot. Circle Akana, Merlin, <laughs> no surprise there. Um... Marilla, Marula Snide, you know, she was with Jacob Sibling in the Circle of Kana. Quinarius Quirrell, you know who he is. Um, we mentioned Minerva McGonagall. Uh, Remus Lupin, Servius Snape. Tom, we'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, Barman. And then we have Tom, Tom Marvolo Riddle, we know who he is. Uh, the Yugadao, uh, so the, uh, actually you pronounce him. The way these people are actually pronounced, I want to make sure I pronounce it correctly because I always say Yugadao, but it's actually Wagadu. Uh, the Wagadu students, they prefer not to use a wand. Those are the ones, uh, so they're the wizarding school over in Africa uh, where they choose not to use wands um, because it, it's not in their culture. They don't like to do that. Um, and then Gellert Grindelwald, we know who he is. Quinny Goldstein, you know who she is, but I'll give you a little bit of a reminder in a bit. Um, Delphini, though, uh, when we were talking about, you know, how powerful she really was, um, which this would be really cool to kind of see on screen if it was done right. I just feel like it doesn't really do the franchise justice if they do that. Um, Delphini, though, was known for like picking locks and just performing random magic, such as like a Mora symbol spells, but without a wand at all, which is really impressive. Uh, Carolita Pinkstone. In 1922, she was a British witch activist uh, and she was a famous campaigner for lifting international confederation of wizards statute and secrecy and telling muggles all about the wizarding world and how it exists she has been imprisoned multiple times uh, for magic in front of muggles uh, she's from the british isles and attended the hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry under armando deepet 
1933 to 1940. She eventually was convicted in Azkaban because she was such a vigorous activist and openly proposed muggles' rights should be well known about the ministry and that there is wizarding magic in the world. She was blatantly performing magic in front of them. And because of all the obliviations and the activists, she was eventually put in Azkaban. But because of her strong activism, she is actually featured on the chocolate frog cards. So that was really cool. Um, Andros the Invisible, uh, he's from ancient Greece. Uh, this is really cool. He's one of my favorites here. Um, he's just a typical, like, super muscular dude, red hair. Uh, basically looks like Hercules, really, like the classic Disney Hercules, right? Um, but it said he could conjure a Patronus that was as big as a giant itself. Um, it's the, he's the only person in history that's been known to do that, to conjure a Patronus that big. He earned the title The Invincible because he can never be defeated in a duel because his Patronus was so massive, it was unclear what it was. Um, he was known for charms and wandless magic, uh, so this guy was a beast. Uh, and he's actually on a chocolate frog card as well, so you can find him there. Uh, he is mentioned a little bit in the Chamber of Secrets video game, Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone video game, and the Hogwarts mystery, uh, and the book, uh, it, it's called And the Wonder Book, Book of Spells video game released on PlayStation, which you actually remember those old PlayStation games where you had the camera attached and you would like tap things with your hand. It was on one of those a long time ago, but mainly just featured in little like trivia facts and cards and that sort of thing. Uh, the Tom, so he's from 1938 to 1990. Just know he's the barman at the Leaky Cauldron. That's all I'll say about that because we don't want to give anything away, right? Um, so the Wagadoo students. So they're a wizarding school located in the Mountains of the Moon. It's called Mountains of Moon in Western Uganda. Uh, the school appears in the Shroud of Mist sometimes and appears to float in midair. It was founded a thousand years before Harry Potter and is suggested that it's probably older than Hogwarts. Um, it's known to these students are known to transform into elephants. In uh, cheetahs by being in a magi, uh, which is really wild, and they can do it at a young age as well. Um, they actually attracted a lot of press at the international uh, symbiosism of uh, animagis, so which was like basically a, a convention of animaguses um, where they take the top in the world, and it was just a bunch of students there, so they were shocked. Um, but they're famously skilled in astronomy, alchemy, and self transfiguration. Uh, they preferred to cast all their spells simply by pointing their fingers and using hand gestures. Uh, they considered using wands, but then when they looked at it, it's a European thing, and they just weren't a fan of it, just didn't like it. So it shows really how skilled uh, this group is. The way they do their recruitment is amazing. Uh, I want to make sure I pronounce this right, because <laughs> it's a uh, little bit of a different name here. And you know, I'm not the best with names, so I want to make sure I, I say that correctly. So the Wagadu, so the Wagadu students, the way they do their recruitment is they receive a notice of their acceptance uh, to the school through dream messages sent by the headmaster or the headmistress. So the headmaster or headmistress at the time, um, the dream is sent in a message where the child will actually be sleeping and see the dream 
uh, they would actually leave a token in the dream that they would remember. So something in the dream, almost like Inception, right? Like know your token. Like there's something they would remember about that dream. Usually it was inscribed in stone, the message that they would see in the dream, and it would be found in the child's hand upon waking up, uh, which is pretty wild. Um, the Wagadoo, I want to make sure I say that right once again. So the Wagadoo, yeah, the Wagadoo students, um, it's the only school that ever employed that method of notification, which was really cool. Um, notable students from there, I mentioned him before a little bit. I think I mentioned him in Chamber of Secrets when we were talking about potions a lot. Uh, but Bojide Akibode, uh, so he graduated from the International Potions uh, Champion, uh, International po he graduated from the school and participated in the International Potions Championship in one uh, from the Wagadal School. So he's the most notable person to ever graduate from that school. Uh, Queenie Goldstein, just a reminder of her, because uh, I'm sure you've heard of her. Uh, it's probably not popping into your head just right away, but you definitely know who she is. So she was born January 6, 1903. And she was an American half-blood witch. Uh, she's the younger sister of Tina Goldstein. She graduated from a livermoney that we talked about last week and worked in the Magical Congress of the United States of America, described by others actually as a bombshell uh, because she was so extremely accomplished in legal men's, which we've talked about legal men's before. That's the magical law that Aurorers have to know to make sure they can make uh, a legitimate arrest. You can't just go arrest someone for no reason, and you got to read them their Miranda rights, right? Uh, so she was able to extract feelings and memories just from one's mind, her brother-in-law, this is how you're going to wind up remembering her. Her brother-in-law was Newt's commander, and ultimate, she was, ultimately she was tr swayed to join Gellert Grindelwald because of the offer to be free and marry Love Nomage, boyfriend Jacob Kowalaski, as well as the offer to provide freedom to him and others. And this is in Fantastic Beasts, so that's where that is. So I know you've seen her before. Uh, Dury Calls. Uh, so going back to kind of the bird species here and full circling around, right? So Dury calls, uh, that's a bird species also known as dodos, basically dodo birds. Uh, nothing special about them, really. Uh, they're flightless, they're mortal, their beast class is only 2x. Uh, they're actually believed to even be extinct by muggles, but they're found on an island in Muratus in the Indian, o in Indian Ocean. Uh, Fwoppers, so... Remember we mentioned them a little bit earlier as far as um, when, you know, they thought they found the cure from a, for a whopper. Um, but basically, they can be orange, pink, lime green, and yellow. Uh, usually, they have yellow eye color. They're actually found in Africa. And uh, so their magical abilities here, their beast class, triple X, so XXX triple X, <laughs> like Vin Diesel style. No, just kidding. Um, but they sing, their singing actually causes insanity. Um, they're listening, people like listen to them, but their singing is so high pitched and it's uh, twittering and so high pitched and can basically shatter your ears, but it drives listeners insane uh, so much that the bird is actually sold with the silencing charm instructions attached to its talons uh, when you go purchase it. And they're actually. Uh, purchased at the magical menagerie that we've talked about in Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, and they're actually featured on display there 
very often, which the ma magical menagerie is over in Diagon Alley. Um, but flopper feathers are also used in quills, and uh, they lay pattern-like uh, eggs with their uh, colors and shapes. Um, there's four color varieties uh, that are used to represent the number four in the runic alphabet as well, which is really wild. Um, Pardis, uh, uh, Portis, sorry, this is the one where a Dumbledore casted the Portis charm um, and to make a port key out of it so that he could get to St. Mungo's Hospital. It's an incantation charm used to transport an ordinary object into a port key. The target glows bright blue, but then burns back to normal color uh, when it's ready. Known practitioners of Portis, um, so these are uh, witches and wizards that used uh, Portis, mostly the practitioners of Portis, what it is is they were using, doing something they shouldn't be doing. So they were turning brooms during Quidditch matches into port keys. So what would happen is to win the Quidditch match, people would wind up just in the Sahara Desert out of nowhere and people would disappear the minute they touched their broom and then they would wind up winning the match because they'd go grab the snitch or they wouldn't show up again. So those are like the most known practitioners of Portis and how it's made practically <laughs> useful, which is really in a very corrupt way. Um, hypocrites, a Smithwick, our last one here, and then we'll, we're going to close this out. Uh, so he was a healer in 1977 and he was in charge of uh, the Dangerous Die Elowen Ward. So that was pretty interesting there. But yeah, guys, uh, this has been an awesome episode today. So just pretty interesting stuff, you know. Like I said, these episodes aren't going to go too long. It just definitely gives you that extra bonus stuff uh, that you'd, we don't really have a lot of time to do in the episodes just because these books are so jam-packed. But yeah, guys, I uh, just wanted to thank you guys again for always listening to us every week. Um, you know, follow us on Instagram. I always say you can follow me at rbrow129. You can follow us at official ridiculous patronus. You can follow Josh. Um, you can follow us at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy on Facebook. We're always on there. You can listen. You can listen, watch, uh, follow along on our website at ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. So that's our blog there, which is pretty cool. Uh, well, guys, you know, this has been a ridiculous crew. I even have my wand here by myself today. So interesting stuff. There can be only one. <laughs> that was, yeah, I think that was um, the Highlander, actually. That's the throwback, really old school. But uh, so this has been a ridiculous production from Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. This is Chase signing off. Uh -huh.